approximately 1,952 years ago, 1,952 years ago this year, the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, there has been no need for sacrifice. Thank you, Brother Jordan. There has been no need for sacrifice as far as the Jews were concerned because there was no temple. As far as the Christian is concerned, we know that the sacrifice uh, took place somewhere around 35 years or so before that time when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, laid down his life on a cross. It was a cruel cross. It was a cross that he did not deserve. It was a cross that, honestly, I should have been on. It was a cross that, honestly, you should have been on. But because he loved us while we were yet sinners, he laid down his life on that cross for you and I. And I am thankful tonight for the blood of Jesus Christ that now cleanseth us from our sin. There is nothing like the power. I feel him here. There is nothing like the power of the blood of Jesus. If you're here in this place tonight, you are a testimony to the power of the blood of Jesus. If it was not for his blood and it was not for his mercy, we would not be here tonight. If you believe that, shout yes. So at some point in the process of all of this, Rome ransacks Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed. I don't have the time tonight to walk you through the empires and how all of it transpired, but I want to just point to a couple of things in history to help you understand how we got to where we are today. That from the time the church was born in the book of Acts, the second chapter, until present day, the enemy has done everything that he can to make the church of the living God commonplace. He has done everything that he can to take that which is sacred and make it something that is profane. He has done everything that he can to take the honor of the word of God and turn it into a lie. But I want you to understand tonight that there is no more of a sure foundation that you and I can stand upon than the word of God. For it was the Christ himself who said that when heaven and earth would pass away, that his words would never pass away. I've come to tell you tonight, the word of God is still a sure foundation. It's still a sure foundation. And so we stand on the word of God. And in that time of history as, uh, as it unfolds, and you can go back through and read the narrative how that the church, what should have been the ecclesia, the government of God in the earth, it became nothing, uh, nothing more than political power. It became something that was state-ran. It became something that was religious uh, in the name of Christ, but only so that men would have power. In other words, it was no longer about being directed by the Holy Spirit it was about being told what you were going to do by the state. And if you didn't apply yourself to 
the ideas and the theologies of the state, then you could either uh, you could either lay yourself down for the state or you could be laid down by the state. I can say it to you like that. You could either give the state your Bible or the state could take your Bible. Have you ever wondered why, as we look through historical uh, findings, that religion called the church? It wasn't the church. It was the so-called church. Why religion would want men and women and families and households to turn in their Bibles? You want to know why they wanted men and women to turn in their Bibles? Let me tell you why. Because men and women are not stupid. And when they pick up their Bible, they're going to read that what the state uh, at that time, what the government, what the kings, the monarchies, what they desired for them to do and to become as a church was not the plan of God for the church. It was not the will of God for a church to be governed by kings and queens. It was the will of God for the church to be governed by the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. I, I, I've, I've been mesmerized the last few days um, by the outpouring of love for the royal family. It's been quite incredible. It's somewhere between incredible and insane to watch. I'm not sure exactly right where. But I was watching the other day. I watched a portion on YouTube of the funeral service. And I watched uh, as they were saying all of their things and crossing and do, doing all this stuff over the queen. Uh, over her body and her casket. And then there were these men that came and they started taking everything that was royal off of her casket. I don't know if you saw this before they lowered her into the ground. They said she's not going to be lowered into the vault as a queen, as a royal. She'll be lowered as a woman. Uh, in their words, as a woman that feared God, a Christian woman. And so they took her crown and they took the royal scepter and they took the orb off of the casket. And they stood before a priest and they brought the orb and the royal scepter and uh, the crown, which I was researching the crown a little bit this week. They say it's hard to tell exactly, but just the purple crown that she wore, the one that laid on that casket, I'm assuming it was the real one. I don't know, but the one that supposedly was on the casket, they estimate is worth somewhere between $1.5 and $5 billion just for the jewels that are on that crown. And these two men took the royal scepter and the orb and the crown off of the casket. And they walked up to the, what we would call the platform, and they handed them to the priest. And one at a time, he would take those things. And they said, now he is taking the royal scepter and laying it on the altar of God. Now he is taking the crown and laying it on the altar of God. Now he is taking the orb and laying it on the altar of God. And I thought to myself, one of these days, we're all going to lay our crowns. We're, we're going to lay our crowns down at his feet. I, I noticed that as they went to bury her, they began to talk about our beloved mo uh, the monarchs and the family and, and royal highness. And uh, they began to talk about, and I know that it's old, old language, but they, they started talking about the queen when the royal thing had been broken, laid up there. They said, our king and our great lord over the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. And I thought, you know, if you go back through history, that's, that's where problems really got started. Is when the kings became the lord. And God tried to tell Israel that. That you don't need a king to be your lord. But when Israel got a king, 
They started being governed by the rules of men. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, there were some issues that were going on that he didn't like. He said, you've been bringing your tithe on your mint and your cumin. You said, you've been bringing all your tithe. But he said, the weightier matters of the law you have neglected. I'm telling you right now, church, I thank God that we live in the United States of America. But we don't live in a kingdom that's governed by a White House. We don't live in a kingdom that's governed by Buckingham Palace. We live in a kingdom that is governed by the one true living God. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that created everything visible and invisible. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything that was made. If you believe it, shout yes. Yes. Would you give that God a hand clap? So the Lord has been dealing with me this week as I watch. You can see very clearly that the kingdoms of this world are literally imploding before our eyes. It's really not hard to see. It's not. It's not hard to see at all that the world around us is imploding. For some, this is darkness and it is gloom and it is doom. But for me... And for you, it indicates that we are as close, and this is not just hyperbole, we are as close to the coming of the Lord as we have ever been. And I hear the voice of the Lord saying, prepare the church, prepare the church, prepare the church, get my bride ready, get my bride ready. Folks, I still believe he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I still believe he's coming back for a church that has made herself ready. I still believe he's coming back for a church that's pure and white. I spent some time today with my mother and we were just talking the word a little bit. Talking about some things and I told her, I said, Mom, I'm wrestling a little bit with tonight. I don't really know exactly how far to take this and what to go. So I I just want to tell you from the start tonight. And I'm going to do my very best to just stay in the shallow end of the water. We're going to take just a, little, just, just a little walk. There's some things unfolding that if you're not paying attention to, you're going to miss. On the 15th, Thursday, September the 15th of this month at 5 p.m., the 15th, this is so crazy, the 15th at 5 p.m., Five perfect, unblemished red heifers arrived in Jerusalem, in Israel. Uh, not Jerusalem, but at the airport, Ben-Gurion Airport, Tel Aviv, uh, from the United States. There were two ranchers in the state of Texas. My understanding that these five heifers came from two different ranches. Now, in uh, 1997 and in 2002, the Temple Institute thought that they had a couple of candidates that were uh, ready to be red heifers. Now, we're going to go to the book of Numbers. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Numbers as to why this matters. Numbers chapter 19 is where we're going to go. 
But uh, they thought in 97 and 2002 that they had a couple of candidates for the perfect red heifer. And I'm going to talk to you about why this matters. And if some of you are wondering why in the world we're talking about cows from the pulpit, I want to help you understand some things that I feel like is going to help you just see a little bit where we are. Again, I'm, I'm going to try uh, to just keep this in the shallow end as much as I can. I don't want you leaving here snoring in Greek and dreaming in Hebrew. But uh, Numbers, the 19th chapter, the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, verse 2, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, speaking to the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer, somebody say without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. Okay? You shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. Everybody say, without the camp. So this is not going to happen inside the tabernacle, but outside the tabernacle, because it is not a sacrifice. This is not a tabernacle or temple sacrifice. It is something that is to be slain outside the camp. Everybody say that again. Outside. Outside the gate. Outside, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. This is something that happens outside the gate, outside the entrance of it. And Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood and his finger and sprinkle her blood directly on the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. Okay? One shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, her flesh, her blood, her dung shall he burn. And then take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet, and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. And then the priest shall watch, wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his flesh in water. And afterward he shall come into the camp. Somebody say into the camp. And the priest shall be unclean until the even. Okay. And so basically as we continue. He that burned washes his clothes in water. Bathes his flesh in water. He's unclean till the evening. And essentially what happens here as you read through is that the priests are to take the ashes of this red heifer that was slain outside the gate, outside of the tabernacle. Later in temple times, it would be outside the temple gate on the Mount of Olives. And they would, they would burn this. Not Everybody say, not sacrifice. This was not a sacrifice, but it was for cleansing. And they would bring the ashes of that with spring water and they would anoint everything that was to be holy. They would anoint the temple, they would anoint the tabernacle, and they would cleanse it. It was for cleansing. Why does that matter to us? Why does anything in the book of Numbers matter to us at all? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Why do we care that there are five red heifers that are now in Israel in their quarantine? And they are being prepared. Do you know who brought them there? It was not the Israeli government. It was the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute has brought five red heifers because they are preparing every day of their lives to rebuild a third temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They are getting ready to build this third temple. Why are they wanting to build the third temple? They are wanting to build a third temple so that all the nations of the world can come to the temple and worship God. I was watching this week in an interview of the Temple Institute. They were walking around Jerusalem and they were interviewing people saying, How would it change your life if the third temple was rebuilt today? If it was rebuilt. And they said it would be wonderful to be a place where people from all religions, 
Somebody say all religion. Woo, I see a coexist bumper sticker coming. Where all religions of the world can come to the temple and worship their God at the temple. Why does this matter to us? Because we know for certain that in the third temple is where the Antichrist, not the spirit, but the man, the Antichrist, the man of sin, will reveal himself at the temple saying that he is God, a messianic figure, a false Christ, and all the world will look at him in amazement and he will become a God figure to them and he will be worshipped, okay? This all is going to transpire in the third temple. Why do we care about heifers? Because you've got to have the heifer to cleanse the temple mount. Now there's a lot to this. There's a whole lot to this. There's so much to this that once we get started here, I'm afraid we'll never get to the bottom of it. But it's amazing to me. If you look through the scriptures... And I don't like to get off real, real deep into numbers, but in the Hebrew language, numbers matter a lot. And the number five in the scripture, when you get in to the number five, you'll see that it's grace. You'll also see that it deals with uh, somewhat like death or revenge, that, that uh, death would be taken out, that judgment somewhat would be taken out. And I'll give you an example. That when David went to face Goliath, the scripture said that for 40 days he issued a challenge to them and he mocked not just the people of God but the name of God. He despised the God of Israel. And so the Bible said that David went down to the, to the, to the creek and there he picked up how many stones? He picked up five smooth stones. Five smooth stones. Now there's a lot to this. We had a preacher here one time that was preaching this and he, he said, I know for a fact that the five smooth stones represented J-E-S-U-S. And that it was Jesus. And he jumped off the stage when he said it. He went, wow, J-E-S-U-S. And he jumped off the stage. And I wanted to get with him, but J-E-S-U-S wasn't the Hebrew name. There's a lot to it. Now, I, David did say, I come to you in the name of the Lord. But I want to tell you, we, we read the scripture with too much of a Western mind. If, if J-E-S-U-S was the five smooth stones to you and you need that to get victory... Go get it. But somehow you're going to have to make J-E-S-U-S become Yeshua. And that's why E-S-A, never mind. And so we can look at this and we can try to unravel this and say, well, I, it, it's because Goliath had four brothers. And God is more than enough. And so he picked up one stone for Goliath and four stones for his brother, uh, for, for Goliath's brother's. That were later killed, Ishbibanab, and all. You can go through that whole scripture. I can't get hung up there. But I want you to understand that five represented that revenge was coming. He picked up the five smooth stones, and it, 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 it was like revenge coming to the Philistines because they had lashed out. Now, if you don't believe that people who uh, found this country, that they have, have been paying attention to the scripture for a long time, I would challenge you to go look at our Pentagon. Anybody know how many points there are in the Pentagon? There's five. You know why? Because our military represents revenge and death. You don't want to mess with the military. Do you not think it's something crazy that on the 15th at 5 p.m. that five heifers 
That's a coincidence. Okay, cool. I'll go with you. But I got the microphone. Five heifers that are all five candidates to be the red heifers. Literally, as they come in to their stalls, there were rabbis from the Temple Institute with magnifying glasses that were walking around them looking in their noses. Why were they doing that? Because if they have more than two white hairs on their entire body, two, they are not a perfect red heifer. I got more silver hair on my head than that. (laughs) Babe, I'm glad you're not gray. That means you're not a good heifer. Praise God. Listen, you guys can chalk this up all you want to. People make fun of this stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're looking for deep stuff. No, listen, this is crazy. They have been keeping this under the radar. Now, somebody's going to watch this and probably get offended because I'm fixing to say something that's going to offend somebody, and I don't know what alphabet they belong to, but anyway. They've had to keep this under the radar and keep it quiet. That these five heifers were coming to Israel because there's a little problem with the Temple Mount right now. And the bumper sticker's not going to cut it. There's some things on the Temple Mount that can't coexist. Oh, somebody's going to get mad out there in La La Land. The week that I was in Israel, there was an old Jewish man that had came up onto the Temple Mount. He was getting aged, and he wanted to come up on the Temple Mount and pray. They don't let you pray on the Temple Mount. There were soldiers. I had some people tell me that the soldiers were hired by, uh, by the ISIS group at that time that were watching the Temple Mount while we were there. And they said, so whatever you do, don't pray. Don't act like you're praying at all. Don't say anything about God, Hashem. Yahweh, Yeshua, nothing. And so we just walked on the Temple Mount and I pointed at the beautiful big gold thing and I'm like, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You know, we're quoting, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You know why? Because it's still His. Still belongs to Him. And while we were there, this older Jewish man, that week, my understanding was, that he, he wanted to, to ascend and he went up and he leaned over on this water fountain to take a drink. And these punks came up behind him and smacked him in the back of the head with a club. And he, he hit his little mouth on the drinking fountain and bloodied his face. And they laid him down. He was an old man, like old crippled up man. And they just about beat him to death up there because he wanted to ascend up to the temple mount and pray. And so we've got a little problem going on on the temple mount here. Ishmael has taken up residence and feels like it belongs to him. Woo! But the Koran may say that it was Ishmael whom Abraham slew on the Temple Mount. But way before Muhammad could ever decide what he wanted to agree on with his doctrine, by 700 they were still trying to figure out what it was they believed as Muslims. 
But Abraham had no question in whom he believed on that day that he ascended up that same mountain and he laid Isaac on that altar and there the angel of the Lord reached down and said, don't take his life. I promised you that your seed would be as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. Don't take his life. Now, this is amazing because if you go all the way back to the beginning of this, when when Abraham does this and then Jacob, his descendants, Isaac's son Jacob, lays his head down on a stone on his journey. He lays his head down on a stone. What was it he said when he woke up? He said, surely the presence of the Lord was here and I knew it not. He said, this place is none other than the house of the Lord. So we believe that Jacob laid his head down. Perhaps. Now, again, we don't know this. This is like we're, we're kind of assuming this, that he laid his head down maybe on one of the rocks that Isaac had been laid down on to be offered. We believe that Jacob laid his head down on the Temple Mount. Way later in history, the Bible said that David came into the city and he desired to build a house for the Lord and he came to a place that was Nashon's threshing floor. And when he came to Nashon, he was threshing wheat. And the Bible said that Nashon offered him to take. He said, I will give you this land. I will give it to you. He was not a Jewish man. He, he, was, he was a Gentile. And he said, I will give you this land. And David said, I'm not going to offer a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. And he said, we're not going to let you give us this land. We are going to buy this land and David purchased that land and that land was the modern day Temple Mount. It was purchased not only by God and not only through the patriarchs of the faith but David literally purchased it with money and bought Nashon's threshing floor and that's where it happens to be today but Ishmael think he belongs there. So we got an issue. Don't be falling asleep on me now. I'm fixing to take you somewhere. So why does it matter to us that there's five heifers that are there. Well, you can talk about coincidences all you want to. But they've been trying to get these heifers. I feel so bad saying that, Brother Castro. You heifers. They've been trying for over a month, keeping it under the radar. I found this so interesting, Brother McLean, to get these heifers from Texas to Israel. Over a month. And the weather has been so hot in Texas. Somebody say, what a coincidence. <laughs> it's been so hot in Texas, they said they feared for the animals. And they were so sacred and they felt like this is our best chance here at making this happen. They've been fighting since 1967. The Temple Institute's been looking for a heifer since 1967. The Temple Institute said, we're going to do this. The man that's the head rabbi at the Temple Institute right now was a paratrooper that liberated the Temple Mount in the Israeli army. And he's been trying since 67 to find perfect red heifers. They've been trying for over a month to fly these in. I saw the crate online. You can go look it up on YouTube. You'll see it. It's the same exact video on everybody's page. There was like one guy that got it with a phone and posted it. It said right there on the side, American Airlines. They flew it in from Texas. And you can see all five of these beautiful little cows in there. They've been trying for over a month to fly them to Jerusalem. And they couldn't do it because the weather was too hot. So the, the first day they got that they were comfortable with it, they put these heifers on an aircraft 
on American Airlines, and they fly them to Tel Aviv, and they just so happen to land in Tel Aviv, just so happens, a quinky dink, on the 15th of September. Now, what you need to know about Israel, are you bored yet? What you need to know about Israel is that when you, when you bring livestock into Israel, the, the livestock, now you know why we felt like a bunch of cows in COVID, the livestock have to be quarantined for 10 days. If you are quarantined, you're a heifer. That's the logic. They got to be quarantined for 10 days. Somebody say 10 days. So today, I start looking at this map, and I'm like, 15th. We've got to have 10 days. What's 10 days from the 15th? Come on, mathematician, let me hear. What's 10 days from the 15th? Does anybody remember a few Wednesdays ago what I told you begins on the 25th? Rosh Hashanah. Do you think that it's maybe a coincidence that these heifers will come out of quarantine right in the middle of the Feast of Trumpets? Is it even a possibility? That right now what we're about to see, just asking, not saying it's doctrine, but wouldn't it be something if what you and I were about to behold was that there was getting ready to be a sacrifice made on the Mount of Olives. It's not a sacrifice, simple sacrifice, but a sacrifice that has to be made because a life was taken. And the ashes of a red heifer are going to be taken over to the Temple Mount and there... They're going to begin to cleanse with spring water. Spring water from where? I don't know. It'd be something if they could somehow get it out of the Gihon Springs that they found in the city of David just a few years ago. Wouldn't that be something? And they're going to take this temple mount and they're going to cleanse it and begin a process. I don't know, but this is what I do know. We believe that Jacob's trouble will begin on the first year of the Shemitah year in all of this process will begin at Rosh Hashanah. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If that, if that would be the case, that the great tribulation would begin, and please understand I'm not in any way stepping out and saying that I know this for a fact. I want to give you something to think about, okay? It would be something if this would be the season that God had selected. It would be something that during the Feast of Trumpets, that this red heifer would be prepared and that they would begin the process. If you want to talk about tribulation, you, you haven't seen bullets flying until you see what's going to happen on that Temple Mount. It's going to be crazy. And there's going to be people from all over the world that are going to come and join forces. Anybody here know of a guy named Boris Johnson? He was the Prime Minister, Great Britain. He just left. So there's something crazy going on, so he pulled out and left. You know, one of his last statements were said before he went out of office. He said, I'll tell you what we need to do when Russia invaded Ukraine. He said, I'll tell you what we need to do. He said, we just need to become another Roman Empire. That's what he said. He said, we just need to recreate the Roman Empire. Now, I wish I had time to take you down this road, but old John saw a vision. 
Oh, John saw a vision. There were seven hills. There were seven heads with ten horns, and one of those heads was a wounded head. That wounded head has always been believed to be a wounded empire. The same as we go back into Daniel's vision, but I don't want to stay here for too long. He saw this wounded head, which would be a wounded empire, and that it was going to be healed and that this empire would come. And people have always wondered how it would happen, but I want you to understand who Boris Johnson was directing these statements to, that the Roman Empire, they need to become like another Roman Empire. He was speaking to people who are part of the caliphate, which is what surrounds Israel. All of that crescent caliphate that surrounds Israel. He said, we need to be just like another Roman empire. Would it not be something if we were about to begin seven years of Jacob's trouble? But just as the trouble comes, the trumpet sounds. And God's children are called out of here. I I can't make you any promises. All I can do is study the word and ask God for understanding. But this is what I know. God, I don't want to bore you all to death. I I, I told my mom, I said, I I, I want to keep this as shallow as I can. But you got to follow the logic where I'm going right here. This is not all based on our calendar, January, February, March, April, May. This is based on the Jewish calendar. you got the religious new year, which is Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. And then you've got... Let's just call it the carnal new year, which begins Nisan 1. They're six months apart, spring and fall feasts. They revolve on this calendar basically six months apart. So you could say that the halfway of the year, either direction, is going to be Nisan 1 or Tishri 1. Everybody with me? You're not crazy bored right now? Okay, so Nisan 1, Tishri 1, they're, they're half a year apart. Not based on Gregorian count, but they're half a year apart. I want you to think about this with me. The scripture said that the Antichrist, at the midpoint of tribulation, is going to come into the temple of God and he's going to make them stop sacrificing. Now we got times, times, times and a half in Daniel's 70th week, okay? Please understand, I'm, I'm just trying to touch the top of this. We're not going deep. The English of this is that there's going to be seven years, the first three and a half tribulation and the last three and a half of tribulation, okay? If you do this math exactly, why would he stop? How many of you believe God does everything in the right season, the right time? If you go times, times and a half, and you end up at a three and a half year time period, and we sincerely believe that tribulation would start at Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, that means you'd go three cycles. Everybody go with me. We'd go Rosh Hashanah 1, Rosh Hashanah 2, Rosh Hashanah 3, and the half cycle would end on what? Nisan. You know what happens in Nisan? Passover. Your Messiah was crucified on Nisan 14. Why would the Antichrist, which is an imitation of the Christ, try to stop sacrifice on some random time when he could stop it during the Passover in Jerusalem while people are bringing, finally, they get the opportunity to bring their lambs into Jerusalem and then be slain? I got a, I got a little picture for you. If it, it, It's going to be hard to see it. But I, I got a little picture that I want to show you. I can, sh- I can show you the article. Did, did you send it to him, Brother Jordan? Okay, it's really, really hard to make this out on these monitors. But I just want to show you. This is a train. Look down here. The most uh, vivid that you can tell is down here on the bottom right. You see the Jewish man with the Russian-style hat. 
and there's a lamb on his shoulders. Do you see that? Can everybody make that out okay? Can you see these Jewish men uh, to your left, one standing up there by the train? He's got a, uh, it's, you can just see kind of the white outline. That's a sheep. On the left side of the train, there's a little boy with a bullock standing next to him. Now, I want you to raise your eyes above that train. Do you see what that building is up there? That's a temple. This has you standing basically at the, the side of the Kidron Valley looking up onto the Temple Mount. And that is the third temple. Where did this picture come from? I stole it. And I want to tell you where I stole it from. I borrowed it. I borrowed this from a pamphlet that was digitized and put all over Twitter. I don't know how to, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? I don't know how to confirm or deny all of this. I, I, I could show you the article yourself and let you see it. That what, what we would call like the Department of Transportation in the United States, in Israel, it's like the Trans Ministry of Transportation, whatever they call it, said in 2020 that they were trying to expand the Ben-Gurion Airport. And they were going to spend like bukus of dollars. I mean, tons of money expanding the airport. And they were going to add to the airport terminal a train station that is a high-speed train, and they want to expand that from Tel Aviv all the way to the Temple Mount. I don't know. I don't know that they're going to get it done. I really don't. But I want you to go with me in the line of thought of why they're thinking this. This picture was on a pamphlet that that Ministry of Transportation, that department, whatever, sent out and distributed in ultra-Orthodox communities in Jerusalem. Getting them to buy in to the idea that we want you to be preparing for a third temple. And we want a train, and this was exactly what they said, that all 70 nations of the world can fly into the Ben-Gurion airport and get on a train and take your sacrifice straight to the temple. And they said, we want to have this accomplished by 2023. I don't know. I don't know if they will or not. I don't know if they put the first spike. I don't, I don't have a clue. I don't know how they would do it. I've taken a car from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I don't know how they would do it. I really don't. Something's going to have to be tore up like any other railroad that's done. Things are going to have to be broken, moved. I don't, I don't know how all of it's going to happen, but I know they're trying. Somebody say they're trying. Pastor's not up here with false propaganda. I'm telling you what they're trying. I don't know how they're going to get it done. But I ought not have to hype anybody up, make anybody believe that Jesus is trying to tell us some things right now. If you want to know what's going on right now, just start looking around. There's some signs of the times that are around us. I want to tell y'all something tonight, and when I tell you this, I can't help but feel the Holy Ghost get all over me. I don't care if the next time I see that 
uh, Temple Mount is on a high speed train or not but this is what I do know I plan on seeing it one day when we with ten thousands of his saints come back with him riding on a white horse the Bible said he'll put one foot on the Mount of Olives and one foot on that Temple Mount and out of his mouth will come a flaming sword which is the word of God you and I may not realize it but we're going to see that land again We'll see it now I'm hurrying I'm hurrying I'm gonna get you out of here early but I'm gonna take you somewhere if you go to if you go to Hebrews ninth chapter uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and I believe it's verse 13 I think let's try Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13 yeah 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 there we go for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Okay. So why do we care, pastor, if this bullock is killed or not because we know that Christ already fulfilled that, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, in, uh, I believe it's the 13th chapter of Hebrews, it even specifically said that Christ was offered outside the gate, okay? This is indicative of the, of the heifer death. Because the sacrifice was inside the gate. The 13th chapter said that Christ was offered outside the gate. Which meant he wasn't sacrificed on the temple mount. It was outside the temple gates. You with me? You follow me? He's already fulfilled this. So then this heifer. This heifer is like almost blasphemous to us for them to start sacrificing. You're right. It is. And it is the blasphemy of this heifer that's going to launch the false doctrine crusade that's going to bring in this Messiah who acts like he is Hamashiach, Mashiach. He is God Almighty, the Messiah. And the whole world's going to look on him with amazement. How's that happen? It happens through blasphemy. That's how people are going to be deceived. It's going to happen. I want to be on the first train out. Now, I want to present this as carefully as I can because you have to understand when you read Jewish history, Jewish history is very unique to its Jewishness in the fact that everything in their historical account doesn't apply to us in Christianity, okay? But you must understand that for the first 10 to 13 or so years, the only converts that were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost were Jews. Jesus taught out of the Jewish law and the oral traditions, which later became Talmud, okay, Mishnah. Jesus taught out of these things and he spoke out of these things, oral traditions. For instance, the Luke 15 story of, of uh, the prodigal son, this was an old Jewish story. 
Jesus told Jewish stories. And so when you study Jewish history, you got to kind of take bits and pieces. But there was an old Jewish sage by the name of Maimonides. I found this interesting, Brother Jordan. Maimonides said that from the tabernacle in the wilderness until 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed, that there were only nine red heifers that were killed. Nine that were killed from the tabernacle in the wilderness until the temple in 70 A.D. was destroyed. Are you with me? And this was his prediction. Woo! Maimonides said, I do not believe that the tenth heifer will be crucified and slain until Messiah is ready to reveal himself. The first red heifer that will be slain from 70 A.D. until right now could be. I'm not saying it is. But it could be right under our nose. And we could be watching it happen to come out of its quarantine on the 25th to 26th of this month. In just three days from right now. Could you imagine with me the excitement that's going to be in the air when all of those who have looked to Maimonides and they've looked to his prophecies, they're going to join with the idea of those of us who are counted around the throne. When we look at this and say the next time that a red heifer is slain, the Messiah is going to reveal himself. Couldn't it be something if the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the Archangel, I don't know how you feel about it tonight, but I'm ready to go. If he's ready to come, I'm ready to go. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm going to preach to you for just a minute. I believe I'd take every distraction in my life and I'd get rid of it. I'd take everything that's pulling me from the house of God and I'd get rid of it. I'm telling you right now, I'd walk away from a job. I'd walk away from a relationship. I'd walk away from a school. I'd walk away from anything that's keeping me from being ready to meet God. There is nothing in the world worth going to hell over. You just write it down when I tell you, and I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight, that there's going to be things that people counted as optional. That when the Lord comes back, they're going to realize they were essential. It is not optional to be faithful to the kingdom of God. It is not optional to be faithful to the house of God. You've got to make yourself ready. You've got to be without spot or blemish. I'd do whatever I had to do to be ready. You ought to do yourself a favor for the next few days. And shut that stupid TV off in your life. You ought to do yourself a favor of the next few days. And shut off the news of this world. You ought to do yourself a favor of the next few days. And say I'm going to shut in with God. And I'm going to give my heart ready to meet God. I don't know when he's coming back. But I feel it in the air. I feel like he's coming soon. And the church has got to be ready. What if he don't come back right now? And I still got to be ready. 
Pastor, why did he wait another Jubilee cycle? 49 plus one. Then in 49 years, you better be ready. If the grace of God leads you to live that long. I'm not saying this to be disrespectful, but you hear me when I tell you that Queen Elizabeth is going to stand before the same God the same way that you and I are going to stand before God. It don't matter how many billions you got. You're going to stand before Him and there's no in-between. You're either going to hear enter in or you're going to hear depart. But you better be ready. I'll have time. I'm watching. I'm waiting. As soon as they start erecting the walls of that temple, I'm in. Till a drunk driver crosses the middle line. Oh, pastor, that's just fear monger. Call it whatever you want to. But God put me here as a watchman on the wall. And I'm here to tell somebody on this Wednesday night, we didn't come here for some chintzy little Bible study. I came here on this Wednesday night to tell somebody, you better get ready. You better get your heart in order. You better get your house in order. You better get your life ready. I'm not here prophesying that Jesus is coming in three days. I'm here to tell you, he can come right now. He can come at any moment. I believe the Lord is coming back. And you better get ready. Now, Pastor, you're just a jerk. You just get up there and say mean stuff. I'm going to tell you what. You ought to walk just five minutes in my shoes and feel the pressure of what I'm feeling. That I'm going to, you're going to stand before God for what you obeyed. But I'm going to stand before God for what I did and did not preach. I'm going to stand before God for the word that he put before us. And I didn't open up my mouth and make a clarion call. I've come on this Wednesday night and I'm not ready to break out a game. I'm not here to play Jenga. I'm not here to play Monopoly. I'm not here to play games. I'm not here to preach and entertain you. I'm here tonight to tell you that it's time to get your house in order. I said it in the prayer room, but I'm going to stand on it. If you think there's going to be less church at the coming of the Lord, you've lost your mind. If you think there's going to be less prayer at the coming of the Lord, you've lost your mind. It's going to take more prayer and more fasting and more consecration and more faithfulness than we've ever had. I feel like, let's stand right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. I haven't scratched the surface tonight, but you can feel a difference in the pressure of the atmosphere right now. The enemy's doing his best to deceive the very elect. Are you hearing me? He wants to deceive the very elect. He wants to deceive God's people. But tonight, somebody in this place needs to stand up and say, I know the truth, and I plan on being free by the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Listen, truth does not set people free. Knowing truth sets people free. <laughs> I said knowing truth sets people free. But the problem with knowing truth, Brother Haney James said it, if you know it, you don't do it. Yeah. 
Boy, there's something heavy in this room right now. Everybody's worried about the sins of commission. Ooh, I don't want to cuss. Ooh, I don't want to sleep around. Ooh, I don't want to be a homosexual. Ooh, I don't want to, ooh, I don't want to commit adultery. Ooh, what I'm committing. What about the sin of omission? James said it ain't just what you do, it's what you don't do. He said if you know it and you don't do it, brother, it's sin. Somebody in this house tonight just needs to get over your pride and over your flesh and say, God, I'm sorry that I put other things in front of you. But I realize in this room tonight, above all else, I must be saved. Church, I'm not saying this because I believe it's what God wants of us. I believe God wants us to be taken care of. But I'd rather die flat broke and make it to heaven than I would to live rich and spend eternity in hell. make a statement I've never made in here before in my life. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I believe this. And I know we got people in here this affects, and if you know my heart, it's not going to make you mad. You get around some of our universities right now, you'll see what's wrong with America. And I want to tell you young people something. You have a right as a child of God, when you walk into the class of that university or that college, when they start talking trash about what you know to be truth, you have a right to walk out. And listen to what I'm about to tell you. It may be the right answer on the paper. But if it's not the right answer in the book, it don't apply to your life. Somebody's going to have to bow up your shoulders in the end time and say, I don't care what the world's saying. I don't care what the world's doing. I'm going to live for God if it costs me everything. Let's raise our hands. I just want to know tonight how much of an altar call would one have to have? What would an altar call have to look like tonight? For us to step out and say, Lord, I believe you're coming back soon. And I put some things in front of me and you. But tonight I'm taking it off the market. God, I'm going to serve you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Listen, I haven't preached this tonight for you to be scared to death. I haven't preached this tonight so that you could rethink your eschatology. I preach what I preach to you tonight because I believe the Lord's wrapping this thing up. We got to get our hearts right with God. We got to get our hearts right with God. Who cares if you make more money than you've ever made and you die lost? Who cares if you got a nicer house than you ever dreamed, but you die lost without God?
I was in prayer this week. When something began to dawn on me. That this spirit of compromise we're fighting in the earth. I know it's not new. It's been here forever. But this spirit we're fighting in the earth right now. You see it in Pentecost. All through our movements. It doesn't matter what organization you see. Compromise is coming. When the Lord comes back. There's going to be somebody that stands before God and tries to justify why they did or didn't do something. Somebody's going to stand before God Almighty and try to tell God why, why they felt like holiness was unnecessary. Somebody's going to stand before God and say, I don't believe, Lord, that I had to do that. But I made up my mind. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to stand before God and hear him say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. I'm challenging you tonight. I hope I prickled some things up in your spirit tonight, made you think. But don't you let your pride let you wait till you get home and by yourself where nobody can see you. I'm challenging you in the Holy Ghost tonight to step out and say, God, whatever I got to do to get my heart right, I'm going to do it. Somebody's going to wait till it's too late. Somebody's going to wait till the trumpet sounds. Somebody's going to wait till your time is order is, is up, till your order has come, till it's over. I wish so bad that I had access tonight to God's list of what's going to happen next and who's going to be next on the list, but I don't. All I know is to live for God every day of my life as if it's the last day and give God the best that I can give Him. How many of you want to make it tonight? Come on. Jesus. Jesus.